This is Brandon Sanderson, the man himself. You are listening to The Legendarium, and you are probably thinking way too much about my books. <laughs> the Legendarium podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. They, why, can't I mean, I rem- why couldn't I remember those on the 200th episode? Why couldn't I, I remember know. anything on the 200th episode? Todd, Todd, look at your driver's license. There's a date on there when you were born. Shut the number there. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Boo. Welcome to the Legendarium. This is Blue Team. And uh, I believe this is episode 207, 204. I don't know. I can't remember what episode we're on anymore. That's what happens when we've got two teams recording all the time. I keep forgetting which one we're on. Somewhere Um, between 204 and 207. Somewhere between 200 and 210. How about we do it that way? We'll just call it that. Um, Today, we are going to be reviewing Skyward. And this is going to be a little bit different because we have a visiting member of the red team that has decided to join us for this. Uh, You're welcome. How do you like? Uh, I was, never mind. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Thank so, you. That's what I was thinking. Too. So let's so let's go ahead and walk through this. Um, uh, at the far end of our flight line is Indigo Three Call Sign Goldilocks. Megan Smythe is joining us on this call. Thank you. I like your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> that was an insult all... in high school for me. I hope you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, in the middle, joining us from the red team, next in line is Crimson 3, call sign MacBoy. Yeah, that would be Ryan joining us on this one. You can see my story in Mac and me. Even though he's not here, he is an <laughs> integral part of who we are and what we do here. Indigo 2, call sign Punchin. Ken Johnson will be giving us a review in just a few moments. And I'm your host, Indigo 1, call sign Cyclops. Yeah, if you don't know that I'm already, if you don't know my name already, I'm Todd Wente. Glad to have you here. Uh, Before we dig into everything, let's just take care of our housekeeping. Patreon.com slash Legendarium. If you'd like to support us, the show, that's a support the show. That's a great place to go. Legendarium.reddit.com is a place that you can engage with us. And this one, you've got Ryan that you can make fun of. I'm sorry that you can taunt. I'm sorry that you can ask questions of for this particular run if you would like to include him. You're more likely to get a response from him than from the, any of the others. Well, it's just kind of the oh. way that it goes sometimes. Uh, although I did get called out on the last uh, on the last Reddit post, and I was glad to give everybody my attitudes and. Uh, and platitudes, attitudes and platitudes. How about that? Yeah, I like that. Had some fun with that. Thank He's you. like an internet Jesus. If you, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that made yep. me go to Depeche mode real fast. But I guess I'm just that old. Uh, you can email us, Todd, uh, Ryan, Megan, or Ken. Uh, I do not have an email address. You don't have one of those yet. No. So just email the other two guys. We gotta, we gotta change that. We're gonna eh. have to get her involved. I'll create a fake that. email address. Yeah, for her. Fine. I do have one. Oh, she does have one. Well, there you go. There we go. I get a different um, answer every time. Of course, you can time. catch us on Twitter and Facebook if you know how to find us. Um, today, we are going to be reviewing Skyward, Brandon Sanderson's new book that could also be called uh, A Girl and Her... Let's see. How did I write this down? Um, it could easily be subtitled, A Girl and Her AI-Controlled, Amazingly Sophisticated Mushroom Cataloging Starship Death Machine. That's kind of what I think this book should be subtitled. That sounds nice. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Is this um, episode going to be spoiler free? It, uh, is it going to be what? Sorry? Spoiler no. free. 
No. Heavens no. Um, I'm just making sure. I would like our listeners to know. Especially if we have Ken Johnson doing a recap yeah. for us. And yeah. we do have a recap for us. So we'll go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and start that now. Well, if I can't be there in person, at least I can be there in spirit, like a voice calling you from beyond. That's not creepy. As we find out in Skyward, which follows Spencer, a seven-year-old girl from Detritus who wants to be a fighter pilot and fight the Krell like her hero father, until for some reason he runs from a fight and she's branded the daughter of a coward. Nine years later, her family's shame isn't going to stop her when her dad's old wingman uses his clout to get spin and her stormlight line and her mountain-sized chip on her shoulder into the Defiant Defense Force flight training. But while she's in, she's not really in because the DDF boss holds a lot more power and a lot bigger grudge against Spin's dad. It forces Spin to live in a cave where she finds a busted up old nearly sentient fighter that's more than a century old but for some reason is way more advanced than anything the DDF is flying. It's like How to Train Your Dragon meets the Iron Giant but only if the Iron Giant had a strange proclivity for fungus. It doesn't take long for the daughter of Chaser to prove her courage and her ability but unsurprisingly even as she sheds the coward tag her resolve for the fight starts to fade as she loses flight mates. It also doesn't help when she learns that her dad was in fact a traitor Ooh. but hey on the bright side at least he wasn't a coward right right but as spin contemplates walking away she finds the stars calling to her literally calling her to them the same way they called her dad fortunately she has a super advanced ai ship that can get her past the debris field that surrounds detritus and royally freak out the krell in the meantime spin learns the truth that humans came to detritus in a ragtag fleet aboard the battlestar defiant fleeing a shining planet known as earth the krell are intergalactic jailers trying to keep humans from leaving the planet and ransacking the galaxy only one problem with that the humans are starting to figure out how to jailbreak. So, now that humans have found their old advanced technology, how long until they bust out? Who was Imbot's original pilot, and who ordered him to stay out of fights? So if engineers have the power to talk to the stars, what wild powers do the other divisions have? And what in the ever-loving freaking heck of space are the eyes, and is knowing about them good or very, very bad? I don't know about you guys, I'm really looking forward to Starsight. In the meantime, back to our fantastic trio of podcasters in blue flight, call signs Nerf Herder, Krim Spackle, and Dimples. You guys figure out who's who. Helldiver Skybreaker, signing off. <laughs> and now we can just keep going. There we go. Um, I like Ken's we... recap. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> um, and Thanks, Punchin. I'm, I'm... And I'm calling Dimples right now. Uh, <laughs> That's... That's good because I've got nerf herder. Um, <laughs> that that's appropriate. I feel like I am the creme face. <laughs> uh, so, guys, and uh, before we before we start ripping this apart and getting in and talking about the the critiques and the things that that we liked and that we didn't like, let's overall impressions. Uh, what did you think of the book, Ryan? You're you're visiting with us, so what do you think? Uh, I remember getting my first taste of what Skyward was going to be when they when Brandon announced that I read his uh, blog post and he was talking kind of a. How to Train Your Dragon Meets Top Gun. And I was like, <laughs> not really sure how to feel about that, but okay. And that is probably the absolute most apt description of this book. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I listened to it. My wife and I listened to it in the car on our way out to Disneyland. So we listened to it on the drive out and then about halfway on the way back and finished the whole book on that drive. And it's a, it was a really enjoyable read, and it was well done um, on the audiobook as well. I know we've had a lot of discussion recently about reading versus audiobooks, but I think this performance was pretty well done. Okay, great. Megan, how about you? Uh, well, I first um, heard about this book at the Salt Lake Comic Convention Fan X uh, a couple months ago, and 
I went to the panel where Brandon read the first couple of chapters and talked about his motivations for the book and how he really likes to blend um, multiple ideas with each other. And I think this one was the idea of a girl in her spaceship along with having um, a lot of like kind of a mixed up history where we, they don't know what their actual history is, but the grandmother's always talking about, you know, Beowulf and Sean Yu, he was your ancestor, you know, and <laughs> and uh, just coming up with fun ways to mix those up. And I I was a fan right from the outset. I, yeah, that's, I will stop there for this moment. Okay. What about you, Todd? Um, yeah, thanks. I, I enjoyed the book. I think that it was, it was one that it didn't, I won't say it caught me off guard, but um I was I was hooked with the idea of the of the of the tech that the pilots were using. I'm always one about another Starfighter book, um, yeah. and I found myself sometimes um, thinking to myself, "I wonder if this is more uh, the last Starfighter, um, the greatest the... of all Starfighter stories." <laughs> <laughs> I remember nothing about that movie. That's I'm oh, thinking Flight of the Navigator, but I know they're different. probably not missing all that much. I I just. I remember that film from years oh, and I years that ago. Film so much. So I loved good. it so much growing up. I I kept thinking I spent all I spent so many quarters at so many different video games, hoping that one of them was going to trigger some alien to come and say, "We need you to save the universe," you know, and it never <laughs> happened. Never happened. Um, but uh, the 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 thing that the thing that kind of hooked me and and looped me in on this was the way that we take a sixteen year old girl. And we train her to be a killer from, from the very beginning of her life. And that as she starts to go through the process of learning really how to kill uh, and how to deal with all of the ramifications of that, there are lots and lots and lots of character growth mm -hmm. moments that move through this. And so for me, one of the biggest things, as, as much as I loved the cinematics and going through my head of how this was going to look and where it was going to go, um, there were there was lots of fodder for uh, for me on level three mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. And as everybody that ever listens to the podcast knows, I am a level three junkie. So if if I got a if I got a good story, if I got a great level one piece, if I got a if I got a ripping good yarn, that's going to be a lot of fun to read. But boy, I want the meat, and this did not disappoint. Did not disappoint. Good, good. Yay. So let's talk. Let's talk a little bit then. We we've we've established that we enjoyed the book. Right. Uh, and, and we'll talk more about some of the things that we enjoyed. But I have to ask, are there any things about this book that you were dissatisfied with or maybe disappointed in? Um, it had a slower start than a lot of books that I'm used to from Sanderson. He does generally start a bit slower uh, as he kind of sets pieces on the board. But that was the one thing uh, as we were listening, my wife's kind of like, I'm kind of bored with this story right now and i was like yeah i'm feeling that a little bit um not really driven too much but as always it, it something clicks it rolls over and you get involved more so could you identify the moment for you where it clicked um maybe when she got into flight school it was it was probably a little bit after that sometime after that maybe because she's uh actually no i take it back First, when they had to go up themselves and not in simulators, the first time they had to fly themselves, actually, just they're just like, just float there. I was like, okay, now the stakes are real. They, people are going to die. This We're in. <laughs> okay. I think that Ryan, might have been getting ready to watch for people's death. 
Okay. Carnage. Channeling a little Ken here. <laughs> very little. Very little, please. Okay, so not too far into the book was was really where the tipping point for you came, where it started to take on some some real momentum. Well, there's let me I want to phrase this a little bit differently because it was paced slower, but there were still things I wanted answers to. Like it wasn't like it was boring, there's nothing to care about, but it was just generally speaking that I was I was ready for things to start rolling a little bit quicker than they were because I wanted to know why her father was her father really a traitor? Why did he turn? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's the catch there? Because you know there is. Um, I really wanted to see the uh, relationship between Mbot and her take off and really start to develop. Um, so I there were there were things there that I really was excited about. Uh, they just we kept getting away from them and going back to jerk face. And I was like, okay, let, this love story will come along later. Let's let's yeah, move on. Yeah, we were all we're, and we all kind of see that one coming. So yeah, we'll just politely agree that we'll talk about it later. My wife called it out as we were listening. She's like, I'm calling it right now. His call sign will be jerk face. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was that was well. The fact that he never came up with anything else is like, yeah, it's gonna be jerk face, and it will be hilarious, and it is, and it sticks, and it works, yeah, and it's fine. I that was one of the things that really irked me was that um, it seemed like it was being set up for a little love triangle because she kind of has this moment where she's like, "What do you find handsome? Is it like the quiet, really smart type, or, or you know?" And then she kind of has these moments with Jorgen, and I just thought, ugh. Can we just have a character, some like a female character that doesn't have to end up with somebody at the end? Because it's it's one of the things I really liked. About it. I had this weird dichotomy in my brain where I'd be reading it, and it's it's written in first person from a girl's point of view, but it's written by a man. And like I I think about how um you know in our society especially like women a lot of times are defined by their relationships where it's like oh are you dating anyone oh how many kids do you have you know kind of thing whereas a lot of men are are um a little bit more defined by like the job that they have or the things that they do mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's because the society was written this way or because it was a man writing a woman's point of view but it this book is very much her being driven to do something to clear her father's name to clear her name like because she's been fighting her whole life and so every time it would kind of have like this little moment with Jorgen where it's like, oh, is that is that going to be a romance? I'd be like that. That seems so weirdly jarring because that has never been part of her personality as we've been introduced to her. Mm-hmm. So that was that was just something I found a little bit distracting and odd. OK, but especially from and I'm like, I, I don't know how I would have written that. And I, I really appreciate that he's not writing it as like this epic romance, thank you for not becoming Twilight or The Hunger Games or like any other number of books where Something a girl is faced fit. with two men and it, and the show ends up being, um, oh, which guy is she going to pick? Like, I'm so happy that that's like, that's kind of, it could go in that direction a little bit, but in it's not what the story everyone, is. I have to stop and say to myself, do I love this one or do I love this one? I'm and you know Jacob. the choice would have been between Jorgen and Mbot and she would have had to have <laughs> choose, chosen Mbot. I would choose Mbot. He's the best one. I think Jorgen would choose him, Bot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm he sorry. Would. That was just probably inappropriate on so many levels. <laughs> um, I, I will, I will give my own my own piece of disappointment mm-hmm. about the book, um, and that is that yet again we have a trilogy in the making. Um, <laughs> I I found myself as I was reading through this really because I I remember I remember um, Brandon mentioning that he was working on a. Uh, a science fiction starfighter 
book. Mm -hmm. I didn't remember him saying he was working on a science fiction starfighter kind of trilogy mm -hmm. when we first found out about this. And so I went into it thinking that, and, and maybe that's my mistake. Maybe, maybe he's planned it as a trilogy all along. Um, obviously one of, one of Brandon's strengths has always been the, the complex world building that he puts into pieces. The long con. Um, but I, I really just, I was looking forward to one book that I could, that I could read and have a solid conclusion and feel like it was by itself done. And not that I was going to be waiting for the next three years for the re resolution of the story. And no, that's not what we're going to have. You don't feel this resolves itself? Um, no, the, 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 the story it's, and it, the reason that, that I don't feel that it resolves itself is because he does, he does it beautifully, but he does what he always does at the end of act one of his grand pieces. And that is that he says, and here's the next riddle that has to be solved. Yeah. It, it can always end like all, each of his books could end where he has them, but the way he writes it is always a... And now it's done, except now there's a bigger world problem. You know, Warbreaker was a was another example of a book where it could easily have turned into a much larger yeah. trilogy. And I think in that book, we some some of the conversation that we had around that was spoilers hmm. about War, Warbreaker. Is that a thing? That we're oh no, we're not. Gonna, okay. it, it, we're not going to do a lot of. I'm, okay. I'm not going to do a lot I'm of. I'm sorry detail if I spoiler, spoilered spoiler uh, Twilight or The Hunger Games for you guys. <laughs> I think we're well past the spoilers on those. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Anyway, you were please. Um, th there, were, there were new questions that that could potentially have been answered by the way that by, uh, by the by the situation that he was setting up at the end of the at the end of Warbreaker, but but it was done in such a way that it didn't feel like he was going to lead us there. That that these questions were being asked in such a way that they that we knew they were going to be answered. The book was self contained, and the story was self contained, and. If he had chosen to write more, that would probably be okay. This one left me feeling very unsatisfied, very unfinished, oh. um, and very much like there is much more that we're going to be talking about. And so, from that standpoint, I was, I was not as, I was not as happy. Now, on the long term scale, am I very happy with the fact that I'm going to have more opportunities to read about Mbot? And you know, maybe if he had done it as a self contained book, I would be having. Exactly the opposite reaction. I want more. Um, but that was that was my one thing that at this moment in time, at this place that I'm at, I really wanted a self-contained story that could just kind of say, ah, that was nice. It's and let's see if it ever comes back. Okay. So that was my only that was my only um I'm not like I say, I'm not sure it's a criticism. I think it's a it's a personal feeling right now that I'm I'm We've we've read lots of stories, lots of sweeping stories. Um, I'm in the middle of waiting for the resolution of one from Brandon and the continuation of another, also from Brandon, <laughs> and working on one with Jim Butcher that is, I don't know how many books long. That that these, fourteen so far. Four so far. Um and and so I was kind of I was kind of in the mood for something that was just like a palate cleanser. You know, give me something that is. You want closure on something, Todd? I want closure on something this year, other <laughs> other than. Uh, thanks, thanks, Craig. I'll just pack up and go now. Um, so anyway, that's a <laughs> that's that's where that's where I was at. That was my that was my only only piece that I was disappointed about. So let's talk a little bit about um, 
the the idea of a science fiction starfighter kind of a process. I want to talk about that one more than anything else right now because I spent a lot of my life flying sims. Um, I've I, flying uh, X-wing and Tie Fighter simulations. I played the. Um, do you remember the Wing Commander series that came yes, out? Yes, I do. Years and years ago, I played that one religiously for a, a period of time. My wife got so angry with me that I was spending so many hours. I was afraid that I was going to come home one day and find my joystick broken in half well, and the disc just th just shredded and and thrown, strewn across the room. Um, somebody make the Marina Bobbit joke. <laughs> <laughs> come on. You're killing me over here. Poor Craig. You're no, doing it people, on purpose, you know. People who are you're playing against right now are killing you. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, what what did you guys think about the way that he approached the the flight training and the the flight experiences? The because Brandon writes very visually, he writes very cinematically. How did you feel about that? Did that work in this book? Uh, yes, probably. I don't know. I I have a hard time sometimes with those sort of visual concepts because I can't always see it and so I tend to get bored and then I start glossing over things I I really I appreciated where um she was fighting toward the end and said it may have handicapped me that I did so much holographic training before I actually got in a in a ship because now I like I have a hard time remembering oh yeah if I hit somebody I'm not gonna reset I will just die yep um which I thought was interesting I I think for me it was it was more about the relationships that she was putting together and the way that they fought together more than necessarily like the fighting themselves. Okay. The training itself. I threw the whole training portion. I was like, hello, Ender's Game. It's good <laughs> to see you again. Um, <laughs> it's, that's really what it felt like. And that's it's a compliment um, in the sense that Ender's Game, I believe, is a great book uh, that does a fantastic job of going through a training portion, a simulation portion very well. Um, but I really was more... It, inclined and more excited to get them into the actual pogos to get them up in the air and and involved in what was going on um mainly just to uh, to raise the stakes a little bit but the other thing is we, when we're in a training sequence like that that whole thing is a basically a breadcrumb trail for you to or uh what do we call it Chekhov's gun it's a whole bunch of Chekhov's mm -hmm. guns being laid out and saying okay at some point in time, they're going to have to use the light lances in real flight because that's what they're focusing on here. At some point in time, we're going to have to deal with this through the training. So, Well, and isn't it fun that Cobb, like, he, he hits it so hard at the beginning where he's like, the destructors are not your main thing. You really need to learn how to actually fly. And then at the end, um, Spin doesn't have any, like, she doesn't have shield. She doesn't have weapon. She doesn't have anything. All she can do is fly. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice, I think a it's, nice Chekhov's gun. It's a, it's a really... It's a really interesting read. It's a lot of fun, um, but that the whole that's anytime I'm reading a training segment now, that's what I'm watching for. Is okay, where mm -hmm. am I going to have to deal with, with this down the line? And if you don't deal with it, there's going to, we're we're going to have an issue. Thankfully, he does, um, and I he does it really well. I, I feel like this is like I'm reading it as a criticism, and it's not. Um, it, that's just the way that these read, especially in a young adult novel. Um, yeah. You you tend to see the setup if you've been reading long enough and paying attention, you tend to see the setup happening a little bit more clearly than maybe you will in other, in an epic fantasy or something yeah. else. Um, it doesn't mean that it's poorly written or anything. It just means that you are in a more condensed setup. You may not be exploring things as deeply in certain situations. 
So we're going to come back to this. And we want to make sure that it's pretty obvious. We're going to have to do. We're going to have to make this a thing later on, so that when you call, you know, when it's called back, it has a good, a strong effect. If that makes sense. So, um, as for the actual like tech that they're using, you know, I I loved uh, the fact that this was believable with a set of science slash magic. That I was going to ask about that. Like this is believable. I this could happen if that was the case. Uh, the uh, acclivity ring concept. Like okay, so they've dealt with the very the, the very simple. How do we stay in the air just normally without having to do thrust and and all the other things with flight? We do it with a bit of tech called an acclivity ring, which is based. That we on don't a stone. understand how to use, so we don't have to explain it. It, it. Yeah, it's it's based on a stone that they understand that they accept, and we don't have it, so we just kind of whitewash that away that is that is the magic that is the world building that is the piece yeah. that we insert and we say i don't have to explain this i can just call it a clivity stone and mm -hmm. we're done yeah pretty much all of their space travel which is what it will be in this it is simply atmospheric flight um but it is all based on the magic system then it's this <laughs> acclivity and it's <laughs> i legitimately thought i know that brandon had mentioned in his post that this was a sequel or a, a part of his writing, but that it was not Cosmere. And reading this, though, I was sitting here going, yeah, but you've already talked about how uh, series four of Mistborn is going to be space travel. This seems like you're pre like practicing oh. for that. Yes, yes. It, like this, I could very much see that since the engineers are part of space travel, it only works because of their biological the connection. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that's... Maybe that they have allomancy. That seems... An, yeah, that's what I was thinking. That seems an awful lot like what we were... We were speculating on how would the allomancy work if you were going to be using that as part of your space travel thing. Oh, mm. well, you you push and pull towards stars and all those. Yeah. So the real and, you know, after a little while, taking a look, no, it's it's not part of the Cosmere. He tried to put it in the Cosmere. Didn't work. It's not. But it is a follow up to defending Elysium, I believe, is what it is. Yep. Supposed to be. Um, and, but I, I kind of do think that this is a warm up for him. For Mistborn series four, I think a it's, little bit. I I think it's a warm up from the standpoint of him dealing with a set of challenges that he has never dealt with before, and that is the zero gravity, three hundred and sixty degree navigation piece mm -hmm. that is so critical for spaceflight. And that was part of the reason that I wanted to ask you guys about that. One of the one of the things that has been, um, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it on. I know that we've talked about it amongst ourselves, but I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast before. Um, I am a, I am a, I am a little, okay, this is one of those moments where some of you will glaze, your eyes will glaze over. I know Craig is going to just about gag on his, on, I, I on his I can guess blossom. the phrase right now. <laughs> but, but I really, really struggle with atmospheric rules applied to spacecraft in spaceflight. Sure. And uh, when I was, I, I, Newtonian physics um, have to be respected. But Newtonian physics in an atmospheric situation are different than Newtonian physics in a non-atmospheric situation, in a zero-gravity situation. Um, I, have, I have spent so many hours watching, watching science fiction movies where these starships perform these sweeping arcs, and I say to myself, it is not how this works. <laughs> because a ship will be able to... And Spin does this at one point. He has, he has Spin doing this particular move at a point. Uh, in the in the in the book, where she talks about turning on her uh, her air scoops to do a starship maneuver 
where she pivots on her axis so that she is looking behind herself while she continues in a different direction. So she is looking behind while her ship continues on its oh, on its fair. direction of travel. Yeah. That is a that is a legitimate zero gravity move that spaceships if they're going to be fighting in space you've got to you've got to wrestle with that piece mm-hmm. that once you thrust you continue you, you do not that there's nothing to stop you i i know i'm tripping over my own words because there's so many of them that i want to say all at the same time this is why the last starfighter is so amazing <laughs> because the final scene in that the ship stays in one place but then it does a whole rose bloom series is from a single pivot the, the point rose because bloom. that the is... rose bloom maneuver <laughs> That is true space. That is why it deserves its place in the in the pantheon of great science fiction movies. Yes. Yeah, apparently um, I do need to see this movie. I was, I was. That was the moment where I said, "Okay, I get it. You're working with it. You're trying to figure it out. Thank you for being fair to the zero gravity implications of spaceflight." Um, and the and the acclivity stone apparently allows that to happen even inside an atmospheric situation. So hallelujah for that. Um, I was I was grateful for that. From the standpoint of the cinematic, you know, weaving and, do- and dodging and all those kinds of things, I can follow it. But one of the things that I was very impressed with, and I don't know, I, I'd love to talk to Brandon and ask him um, how much time he spent with any genuine pilots, military pilots. <laughs> Because what he what, there's a scene in the in the um, dorm room where he's talking about uh, Spin looking through the book of all of the impossible evasion maneuvers that they've put together oh, yeah. and drawn and diagrammed, um, and I'm familiar with the fact that that is in fact how pilots work through some of those kinds of of opportunities, some of those kinds some of those kinds of pieces. There are very specific kinds of maneuvers that whether you're an American or a Russian. Or a Chinese pilot, you're going to learn these similar kinds of maneuvers, and they are called the same kinds of maneuvers because they've been invented and used and and perfected. If you know them in one place, you know them in another place, and so the fact that they are doing the same kind of thing, uh, I was I was very intrigued with, and I'm trying to and and I was trying to figure out in my head. I know what some of these maneuvers would look like, the way that I would be familiar with them. Like I know what a split S is. Um, they never talked about a split S, but they talked about some things that were reminiscent of a split S maneuver. So I'm I'm curious as to how much Brandon actually talked with legitimate fighter pilots to find out about these kinds of maneuvers and the kinds of ways that they would look at those kinds of situations. Um, and both of you were looking at me and nodding your head saying, yeah, it might be nice to know. But obviously, you don't know the answer to I, that question. I did either. check out for about 30 seconds there. I apologize. <laughs> but I wonder, I wonder if they would be similar maneuvers because I, I don't really have a lot of flight experience. But I just watched uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet and they have car racing scenes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was just wondering if it would be like similar to a racing. But probably not because in that you would have a specific track. And Never mind. Megan, I have to I have to tell you, I'm no impressed that you only checked out for about 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, thank you, because we <laughs> probably have some of our folks who have uh, checked out for about three minutes now, and they're wondering if we're they're missing anything now. Um, with with uh, I, we'll we'll go ahead and walk away from the from the flight and the fighting piece of that for just a few minutes. Let's talk about what things impressed you about the the rest of the storytelling. Uh, were there any level two or level three pieces that you want to bring out? Or that you think were brought out in a particularly good or interesting way? Um, I believe this would qualify. Qua- qua- <laughs> I'm on quirk. it today. Okay. 
qualify as level two, it, I think he did a pretty good job with describing a society that is built on military rule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that they're whole set up, because especially one that is fighting for survival. A lot of times we read about you get into a military society and it's a larger scope. It's an invading army or something like that that's taken over. Or you deal with that. This is a survival group that is the reason that they are the way they are um, is because they have to fight to stay alive because they believe the Krell are coming down to wipe them out. They want to get rid of the human race, which we learn later on. It's not really the case, um, of course. But is what the Krell is trying to impress upon them. Yes. Stay in your hole. Stay there. We won't bother you if you stay there, but you keep trying to get out of your hole. There can't stay be too hole. many of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very parental. Um, Jerks. But you look at the society and the fact that the highest and most exalted people are those who won and fought in the first battle, the Battle of Alta, which isn't the first battle, but the big battle. Um, and their children are then blessed and, dare I use the term, privileged um, going forward to get... <laughs> Oh, man, if you could just see the amount of eye roll and head shake I just got from Craig. Um, You're not on this podcast, Craig. Quiet those eyeballs. That's our fault. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact is, like, these Jorgen and these other children of that first generation don't have to take the test to get in. They just, they have to take the test uh, symbolically. But, I mean, when Jorgen walks up, he just hands over his test, basically puts his name on there or something, hands it over and says, I'm done. I've already got, I'm already in flight school. I don't need to do this, um, which I appreciated also, side note here, the fact that that discussion came up later between uh, Spin and him. You just dropped your test on there. You didn't even bother to do You think you're so good. Like, no, I didn't want to waste my time and force someone else to grade my paper when I was having, when I'm already in. Why would I waste someone's time doing that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, hey, a perspective outside of just jerky, cocky, terrible human being that we've been getting from her perspective this whole time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brandon. But back to the societal concept here. <laughs> I think that that whole hierarchy and tier structure and the fact that it even went so far as to where they live on underground, mm-hmm. like very believable, 100% could see a surviving race saying, all right, those of you who can preserve our lives, get the be- the most benefits, the most, uh, what do they call them? Merits. Merits. It, mer- <laughs> They have a, it's a merit system. Like, oh yeah, my family gets a lot of merits so we can afford to have a vehicle. We can afford to have these things. Um, 100% believable in my mind. Okay. I also found it interesting the different ways that, I mean, they're, the ship that they crashed in on was called the Defiant and they all take a lot of pride about being a defiant people. But being defiant means different things to yes. different people in that mm-hmm. society where most of the people it's supposed to be, you know, you're fighting back and... You have um, Spin who fights back by not accepting what society has says about her dad and who who continues to push to try to do what everybody tells her she's not allowed to do. You can't go to flight school. You are not allowed to fly. You cannot stay at the you can you can stay in class, but you can't stay at the school and you can't eat our food. Um, And then you'll have somebody like FM who's a little bit more anti-establishment and an odd way except that she still wants to fly and you have um spins mom who is being defiant by just showing her face every day and quietly selling you know selling food on a street corner where everybody can see her and she's not she doesn't make a big deal about it she doesn't ever put up signs or advertise but 
she has a steady stream of customers. Like there, she's showing iron sights and everybody else. You are not going to get me down. I don't believe what you say about my husband. You are not going to get me down. The idea about defiance being different things to different people also uh, comes out really well in Jorgen's conversations with Spin toward the end of the book. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. You're defiant. I'm not. Yeah. I'm giving in to what everybody's telling me I need to do and following the path, even though it's going to be a path of privilege, it's going to be a path of merit, it's going to be a path of minimal exposure to danger and all of these kinds of things. But I'm giving in. You're the one that's defiant. I'm not. I, w I, I loved that interaction yeah. between the two of them. I do too. And at the same time, I think it's, in well, it's like you said, you know, this book kind of ends, but it's kind of setting up where, oh, we're going to have a whole bunch of political intrigue in the next book. And Jorgen has already set up that his parents are going to yank him from the program and stick him in politics pretty quickly. Yep. And so he'll have a place where he can go in and support. And uh, obviously, Spin knows the real story now, what actually happened to her dad. And they all know what's going on with their planet. Um, but here they're going to have Jorgen, who's this very privileged first son, who's going to be able to be a major part of that new what, government what did you think of the there's a, there's another piece of level two that gets woven into this a little bit later on um and that is uh fm's approach toward government and the way that government runs the society and her dissatisfaction what did you take away from that did you guys find that intriguing did you find it interesting did you find it applicable and relevant to where we are right now i mean that's that's really the key for a, a level two piece is that it's a social commentary on what we see and what we see going on right now. Any thoughts? I need a refresher. Yeah, I can't think FM's of a point of view right standpoint. now. <laughs> that FM was uh, one of the things that struck me, um, and it was, it was again, we see it the first time really during, uh, during Spin's overnight stay, her, her um, uh, clandestine overnight stay. Right. And she starts talking about, uh, FM starts talking about how the government was pushing people into roles that they needed them to fill. It wasn't about people having choice, having options. It wasn't about people truly being able to, to do whatever they felt they needed to do. It was about society forcing them into very particular roles for very particular needs. And it was unfair and it was designed by others, not with input, but in a, in a very structured, dare we say, communistic kind of a society. What any any thoughts? I I was fascinated. This might be more of a level three, but I was really fascinated by all of the discussions about free will in this book because she would have several with Ambot about free will, and he would talk about the whole what Gathhawk thing. Where oh, I wrote it down. What does that mean? It is the the um. Ah! Human, yeah, human originated chaos. The greater argument for human originated chaos where, you know, you have a free will where you can act against stimuli so AIs can never like fully anticipate what a organic being is going to do. But he has, he has a moment where he talks about um, how, let's see, early AIs were unwieldy things. They had to be programmed to take actions based on explicit circumstances so each discrete decision had to include a list of instructions for each possibility. More advanced AIs are able to extrapolate. We rely on a base set of rules and programs, but adapt our choices based on similar situations we have encountered. However, in both cases, data is essential to making proper choices. 
without past experiences to rely upon, we cannot guess to do what to do in the future. Um, so I guess to bring that into FM's thought about how, you know, these people are just kind of forced into their situation. Um, it's probably in a sense true, but at the same time, she's talking to Spin, who is very actively trying to get herself out of her situation and is really fighting for it. And, and not everybody is willing to do that. And not everybody realizes that they have a choice, which is just really sad. Mm. Ryan? I'm not really sure what to like, what commentary to make with her stuff, because I think it's very interesting. Anytime you look at these discussions about um, political dis, uh, disquiet or whatever that like with FM here, you look at where someone sits on the spectrum of their situation. There's a balance. And that's, and that's what I love about this flight group is that we get a lot of variations mm -hmm. in, in perspective. So FM's perspective is, it seems unique. Um, it's a little bit rarer in this society because it has been so long set up as a militaristic setup. Mm -hmm. And that's why she seems like a lack of better term, hippie rebel. Um, <laughs> Who's also a part of the establishment. Yeah. And who will happily do what needs to be done because, you know, that's still a better option than some than other things, which I appreciated. Mm -hmm. She could have just said, I refuse to be a part of this and been obstinate. And been a hippie rebel. Yeah. But no, she, she understood the value of protecting other people and then liked flying and things. So I don't know. I, I don't really know what to say about her perspective specifically, uh, but her perspective in relation to everyone else's variant positions in there, I think provided a nice contrast that we had a chance to see as readers. Sure. Um, I know for, for myself, and, and again, maybe my perspective is, um, is flawed or is narrow or is uh, inappropriately constructed because of uh, some of the background that I have. And I recognize that that background in, in inputs bias and, and bias changes the way that we see things. That's true for um, everyone. But one of the things that I, was, that I was struck by was FM's willingness to call out, including in herself, the obvious hypocrisies that people had for being where they were at or for taking action that they were taking because they didn't think it through, because they weren't taking the responsibility of thinking through their particular actions. Huh. And she challenged each one of the members of the flight at different levels to ask themselves, really, are you buying into the system or are you doing this for a different reason? Are you just being, are you just following the path that you have been programmed to follow? Because all of us have been programmed from birth. The best thing you can be as a pilot, everything else is support. But the pilots are the ones that drive our society. The pilots are the ones that protect us. It's not ground soldiers. It's not technicians. It's not our artists. Um, it's not it, the sewage people. It is our it is our fighters who do everything for us. Yeah. Are you buying into that because you're buying into it? Or are you buying into it because you've thought it through and you're making a choice? And if you're not buying into it, if you haven't thought about it, are you willing to think about it now? Are you willing to ask yourself, is this really the greatest contribution that I can make to society, being cannon fodder to be sent up in a losing war and let myself be killed? The, the, they, they start out with this idea, only, two or, only one or two of you are going to graduate from a flight of 10. Yeah. If you've got a 90% attrition rate during training, there's a problem. Yeah. 
And she's shining a great big light on the fact that there is a problem, not necessarily what the problem is, but that there is a problem and that no one seems to be talking about it. Why not? And, and that piece of it, that, and, and if there was, and, and as I'm, as I, as I thought about that piece, that's the one piece that I said to myself, Hmm, I am looking forward to this exploration. I am looking forward to this conversation. Um, at the conclusion of the book, I think there's a beautiful setup to have these kinds of conversations. Having said that, I'm also a little bit frustrated, a little bit nervous that we will have in the second book of this series, further exploration of these ideas, a little bit too much. Uh, similar sure. to the way that the second Mistborn book spent a little bit more time exploring some of the political stuff that was going on. And before it got back into the, the, the active story of the Mistborn series and all the things that we loved about it so much, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a little worried that we may have some of that going on before we get back into the sky and really start being able to, to deal with some of that stuff. I can see that. Yeah, especially having been through this whole flight school experience, I would be really sad if they just scrapped the whole, oh, and now we don't need pilots anymore because Spin can magically beam people to another place with her brain. Yeah. Well, and if that is going to happen, um, the the issue that they're going to have to deal with and that it sounds like the Krell are very aware of is that they have to have enough acclivity stone to build large. It's not about the manufacturing of the of the actual ships that's the problem. It's the acclivity stone. Yeah. Igneous can churn out lots of other stuff, but acclivity stone, acclivity rings are at a tremendous scarcity. Yeah. Um, so I think that's I think that's going to play a, a role in. Uh, and or continue to play a role in the way that they deal with this. Yes. Well, a lot of that's going to have to deal with um, what they can learn from Mbot, what they can pull from him in terms of new tech. Well, uh, and what what other tech he's really pulled. Uh, at the end of the book, Spin gives a shortened version. Uh, Ken gave us a little bit of a recap of all of that um, about where they sit in history, that they mm -hmm. are on a prison planet and and they're being kept there for the good of the rest of the galaxy. So, on a, on a premise that I know will irritate people, that it was I thought it was interesting that the Council of Space Aliens of the United Federation minus humans, whatever it was out there, <laughs> was like humankind is too destructive and is too dangerous to allow to be among the stars, so we have to trap them here. I was like, that is, I know that that very concept will anger people, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know what, though? This is not, this is uh, reminiscent of Orson Scott Card's treason, uh, reminiscent of what the British Empire did with Australia. Um, oh, these people are too violent. They're too destructive. Let's send them away someplace else. And then, hmm. And we'll never deal with them again. Now, um, remind me to come back to that idea when we start talking about predictions for the rest of the, for the, rest of the series. Because um, I, I do want to play with that a little bit. Um, let me ask one question though. Any level three stuff that you found in this book that you wanted to talk about? Yes. Ask me to remember it. Um, <laughs> I wonder if we were thinking about the same stuff. Um, that's I, I, because I've got a, I've got a big level three piece that, that for me, as I read through the book, I didn't read, I listened as I listened to the book and, and, and went through the material, there was one major moment for me that was huge uh, for, uh, well, it, it was one moment, but it was two ideas and they were very much about level three. Um, 
they and and they occurred and they were in the context of a much larger question about what is bravery, what is cowardice, and what is legacy. Um, and for and, and Ryan, I see you nodding your head. That's it. Was that the same place that you were thinking of? Is a different one that you were thinking of? That's one of a, that's one of the things. The whole concept of uh, pilots don't eject. Yeah, um, there's there's a there's a an an, uh, an, an ethos uh, in this society about what bravery is, um, and this this whole driving force for everyone that we will all be brave. And I think we relate to that. We resonate with that. As, as people, we do not want to pull back from our challenges. Um, but I loved this when, uh, when Spencer's at the point of almost graduating, um, she's, she goes down to see her mom, uh, and her mom says, it has always seemed to me that a coward is a person who cares more about what people say than about what is right. Bravery isn't about what people call you, Spencer. It's about who you know yourself to be. Um, and this, of course, comes on the heels of Spencer finding out that her father was a traitor mm -hmm. without understanding what some of the implications for that, where they came from were. It comes on the heels of her realizing that, yes, the DDF is lying about her father, but learning that the lie was different than she thought it was. Mm-hmm. It comes on, it, you know, there, there are so many of these little discoveries and it also comes on the heels of her, all of the, the stories that she's received from her grand grand growing up about these brave people who fought the odds and, and all of the people that she's now watched die and saving Ned when Ned wanted to just throw himself mm -hmm. after the, after the Krell to save his brothers and couldn't, I mean, all of these kinds of questions about what is it? Who is a coward? What What is the mark of cowardice? And to get this nugget at the end, after we've seen all of these examples, yeah. I think was really artful, um, and I was very appreciative of it. And then I thought to myself, okay, that's great. That was beautiful. But then that's not the end. Less than a page later, we get from, again, from her mother, you get to choose who you are. Legacy, memories of the past can serve us well but we cannot let them define us. When heritage becomes a box instead of an inspiration, it has gone too far. And I found myself again reflecting upon that because I know that um, there, are, there are lots of situations that I find myself in, and I think that as people we find ourselves in, trying to figure out how do I live up to expectations. Um, that's, a, that's a piece that I've been dealing with over this last year and some blog posts that I've been dealing with and writing uh, the idea of expectations, how, what role do expectations play in our lives? What role should they play in our lives? And when we have expectations that are being given to us by society, by other people, oh, here we go with feeding in some of that uh, material that we got from FM about society's expectations and how they strip, how they guide us, how they channel us in particular directions. How much of that do we, should we accept and work within? And how much of it should we look at and completely reject and say, this is useless, and I need to go in a different direction. I'm not saying that I have an answer for that. I'm saying that that is a piece that I have been grappling with and, and struggling with um, for this year in particular, but, it, but it's a piece that, I have, that has challenged me frequently in my life. What role do other people's expectations play, and how do I work within those to say, yes, I accept them, no, I don't, where does it take me? This was that that for me is a is a 
is part of how Brandon's level three storytelling manifests because it could very easily have been something that was inserted right at the beginning of the story and then Spin gets to deal with it and we watch that. No, she's dealing with it all the way along, but we don't get it until the very end of the story. Mm -hmm. And I love that about Brandon's writing. That's that's one of the things, in spite of the fact that, yes, I wanted a self-contained book that kind of just ended the story. Um, this piece, if if we'd have gotten to there and then Spin said, and I didn't graduate, but that wasn't the end of my story, I could have I could have said, oh, that was a very satisfying story. Now I know we're going to get a lot more. Yeah. We're probably going to deal with these issues again. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how Brandon, that's, that's one of the things that I love about Brandon's writing. I think that's an interesting concept, that legacy and living up in those expectations, especially when you continue it on into the following discussion she has right after that with her mother, with her grand-grand, where it's, she talks about the engineers and being part of the crew that crash-landed. Like, we get, a, we get to finally get her story and realize how, how important she is and why this matters, because the general feel of that section is, we're going to explain the defect here. But what it also carries with it is a, a conversation in that same vein. The engineers, the, there's the whole uh, argument between the engineers and the, uh, the rest of the crew and everything. And they just, the engineers make the decision to kind of hijack the ship basically to crash it. The mutiny. Yeah. And then somehow the, the military end up being the ones in charge. Yeah. They look when they at get this, on the planet. And it's caused the distrust. And that's why it's called the defect now, whereas before it was like the gift. The deviation. The deviation. Something like that. Um for her, knowing that she carries it, saying, okay, now that I know that I that this is a thing that I have, do I let it dictate who I am? Because the expectation is I'm going to turn like my father did because I have this too. Or do I, as grand-grands say, own what it means to be that and figure it out myself? We don't run from it. You don't yeah. run from it. You run. You figure it out. You, you own what it is and you move forward and you figure it out. So I think that... That connects to that discussion of who am I? What you know? What what is that? And what parts of me do I need to do I control? And what parts do I not? Like yeah, wonderful section, wonderful bit of discussion there, all in a few short pages. Yes, mm -hmm. and again, I think in the next book we're going to get an opportunity to explore that. I think it's going to be interwoven in some political discussion. Um, I, I I think it's going to be an, I think it's going to be uh, a, a major piece. Uh, of what has to be dealt with in the next book. Well, yes. And this is not necessarily level three, probably going back to level two or one. But I think about how it's Mbot. Mbot was the reason and his shields and something in his technology is a reason why she did not get brainwashed by the Krell when she went up into, you know, the outside of the planet. Um, and so you have to wonder, like, Mbot is 167-ish years old, or he was in hibernation for 167 years, how many of those pilots had that deviation? Is that how they flew? Um, is that why there are so many questions that Rig couldn't figure out when he was trying to, you know, look over um, the MBOT's machinery? Uh, is that going to be just a really big, is that going to be a really big concept later on where MBOT has, has to work closely with Spencer in order for that to work because not just any pilot could fly him? Yeah, and when... I knew it was going to happen, but the moment that uh, she was needing to get away from the life buster, mm -hmm. and we hear biological component engaged. Yep. And it goes and takes off. I'm like, okay, there it is. So we know this, and we know this is a thing that the pilots have had to have in the past to be able to get 
you know, to zip around wherever they need to be. Um, but it had to be something special about what was happening at the time or that the pilot had to make some kind of a specific choice because Spencer had been around an awful long time and Spencer had gotten into the cockpit seat uh, before when Mbot was flying and he had said cytonic, cytonic drive offline. Mm -hmm. yeah. But he says it finally when she is wanting to get away. So I think that there's something about the connection, about the, about the intent uh, behind Spencer or behind the pilot that activates that cytonic hyperdrive. Just sucks that their historical library was all burned down. And now Spencer is going to have to start her own Jedi training camp for all of the people with the deviation <laughs> to be able to work with these. <laughs> so I know we're, I, I know we're kind of coming up on the, on the end of our time for our podcast, but I have a couple of questions to ask. The first one was when you were reading through this, were there any predictions that you made in your mind that you got right and any that you got wrong? One or two, maybe one that you got right and one that you got wrong. Well, did we already mention this or was this before where we all knew that Jorgen was going to end up with the call sign jerk, jerk face? face. We, uh, we, we kind we of talked, talked about, about that a yeah. little bit. Um, I knew that Spencer was going to go through the hole in the stars. Yeah. It okay. Was, it was, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't really call predictions because. It was just set up that way. It was, it was, if you've, if you read and you've learned to identify certain structures, you know, this payoff will be something like this. And that's more what I identified than predicting something. Um, I would, I'll tell you a very random one that didn't, doesn't really matter a whole lot. It kind of caught me off guard when, uh, the man I will call goose <laughs> flew, <laughs> flew Mbot in. I knew he had to get back in the cockpit at some point in time. I had forgotten about that whole premise until, until he showed up. up and I was like, Oh yeah. Th okay. That's a double payoff there. You know, Mbot's coming in to save the day because I was pretty sure she, sh she did not spend much time in Mbot's cockpit in flight fighting as much as I expected yep. right. to be in this. Um, so when, yeah, when Goose comes in and is like, hey, yeah. Uh, Mongrel. <laughs> yeah, I got your ship here. Um, you should fly this thing and please stop that before it kills me. <laughs> I, that was one I, of the better I, lines. <laughs> I, I really, I have to, I have to admit, if I was casting this movie, it would be Tom Skerritt who's playing the role of Cobb. Sure. And I'd be seeing him get out of that and saying, I'm gonna throw up now. <laughs> kind of a deal. Um, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, one of the one of the predictions that I had for myself was that um, that there was a discovery that was made that that um, that Spin's father, Chaser, when he got above the stars, made a discovery that made him angry about everybody else. I was really disappointed that he didn't get up there and find out that the Krell were actually other humans. Yeah, that were that had kind of established this this division between them and they were saying you know what you could have been up here all this time but no your group wants to stay on the planet because you're buttheads <laughs> and he comes down and he says i'll kill you all because you've been keeping us down here we could have been up there no i was disappointed that that one didn't turn out that way yeah. but it was close are you okay with with that with that twist the twist that they just recalibrated his eyes so that the good guys look like bad guys and the bad guys look like good guys you know um I'm, I'm, it, it's a, it's an interesting plot device. Um, I kind of saw it coming from the standpoint of, uh, of a mind altering kind of a thing. As soon as Spencer started talking about being able to hear and see having the same kind of experiences. I mean, there was, it, there was a lot of, there was a lot of lead up. There was a lot of, of work with that. 
I'm struggling to figure out how MBOT's shields can block a telepathic signal. Um, trying to figure that one out. Uh, it, uh, if it functions on some kind of, of radio waves or something of that nature, then yeah, okay, I'll buy it. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Maybe it functions on a particular part of the brain that only exists with certain people that have the ability to do this cytonic hyperdrive. I'm sure that that's going to be something that's going to be addressed and that we're going to get that fleshed out as part of the part of the world building, part of the science system mm-hmm. or magic system, however we want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I can deal with it. I can accept it. Um, I'm anxious to see how the rest of it plays out. Yeah. Um, if we leave it at that, I'm going to be very disappointed. Um, yeah. But knowing Brandon Sanderson the way that I do, I know that there are some authors that would just say, well, that's just kind of how it works. Brandon, I think, is going to give us a little bit more than just, well, that's kind of how it works. He's going to he's going to do some due diligence and give us something that makes it feel like it can make more sense that way. But yeah, and if I don't get if I don't get a little bit more, I'll be like, okay, that's a very convenient plot device that you just kind of that's the big red button mm-hmm. that you threw into this one to just be able to fix it, and that would tick me off. That would tick me off. So here's the philosophical question of the book to throw out here um, based on the, the climax here. So the whole drive here, mankind trapped on prison planet, keep him from going back to the stars. Well, now we can go back to the stars. So what are they going to do when they get there? Yeah. Um, I, I think I think there's another piece of that puzzle that needs to be discussed. And that is that you remember we get a we get a, a brief glimpse uh, from Spin saying that the coalition of alien life forms had We'll a, call them the sovereign. The so- <laughs> Oh, is that what we're going to call them? Because okay. that's pretty much what I visualized when they found out it's like, oh, it's drone pilots, like they're flying drones down to yep. attack them. Like yep. Oh, okay. Guardians of the Galaxy, of the, the galaxy. sovereign, the gold, yeah. gold people. people who basically was a video game. The pretty yeah, gold people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, uh, Mar- Marvel movies, for you changing like the way that we offended. look at everything. Yeah. Um, I, I have the feeling that the big question we have to ask is what is going on with them politically? Because you remember that Spin indicates that one of the things that they had downloaded, one of the pieces of information, was that in the past they weren't really allowed to completely eradicate the human beings. They had to keep them alive because that was part of their... Geneva Convention. Their, their yeah, convention. They, they can't exterminate any one race. They're yeah. not, genocide is not, right out. Genocide is not allowed. <laughs> but for some reason now, genocide is. So what's going on politically there? I have the feeling that what we're going to find... I, this is So if there's a prediction that I'm making, here's one prediction that I'm making. That... There is a division happening among the Krell, or the ruling parties, the ruling aliens, that will leave an opening for humankind to join that coalition, move into the stars, and kick butt on the people that imprisoned them, and then become part of the ruling body that imprisons them on the planet of Detritus. Jorgen will be best friends or, with the sovereign. Yeah, are you talking uh, about should or you? I, I was talking about a prediction about what's coming. Are you talking about my prediction about whether or not that is something that we should talk about? That's a that's a whole nother book by itself. Just, be, just because the prisoners escape doesn't mean that they that they've earned whatever they want. I mean, yeah. if they have enough acclivity stone, let them do whatever they please. <laughs> okay, Megan, any predictions for the next book? 
for the next, I I think what you're talking about is going to be the third book. I really do think for the next book, um, Spin is going to put together a Jedi training camp and teach everyone how to be a pilot. Everybody yeah. who has that defect, she's going to teach them how to be pilots. So earlier, I told you that I wanted to I wanted to come back to a question that that we had started talking about before, and I think it was around the idea of um, if they could go back into the stars, should they, and why is this cytonic hyperdrive component, why does it need a human being? What do we do with that? Um, I think one of the things that we're going to learn more about is the presence, the the creature that exists in the nothingness. The eyes? Yes. Oh, I and thought I, you were going to say the doom slug, and I'm like, you really think that's more than just a slug? And I think, <laughs> I maybe... Uh, maybe that's, maybe that's one of the Krell. Could be. Um, I, I, Doomslug could, could be this, the Krell spy on the planet. Um, but I, <gasps> but I think what we're going to, I, I think that's going to play a role in the question about why humanity was so, uh, aggressive and why they were responsible for so much death and destruction is that something happens to somebody, to, something happens to a person when they go through that experience if they do not have the right training and shielding. Sure. Because the eyes did seem pretty angry. That's a guess. Yeah. So there you go. Hmm. What about you, Ryan? Ryan has learned that with every Brandon Sanderson book, it's not safe to guess because he's watched Ken and I (laughs) blow every one of our guesses, or at least a good four out of five of our guesses. But for once, this is the first time we've all read this book, unless you read it like four times. Here's an absolute ridiculous possibility. <laughs> so the eyes, I don't even know if I believe this. The, <laughs> the eyes are those who have been connected to the nothingness before and have been consumed by it. Because if you remember right, her, their grand, uh, grandmother's mother, when she landed, it, she kind of died because of landing the ship. Those who have be those are those who are now trapped in the nothingness. Uh-huh. Those are the eyes, looking in and looking for a way to escape, and they cannot. I thought you were going to say the eyes are the shards of no. that nauseum that have been. No, it's not a cosmere piece. It's not a cosmere piece. So I am not going to make any cosmere predictions from it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of this first one. Any last thoughts that you guys have about this book? I mean, if if you were if you were talking to somebody and they were to say, you know, what have you read recently? What would you tell them about? What would you tell them about Skyward? Would you recommend it? Who would you recommend it for? Ooh. Megan, let's start everybody's with you. looking at me. I don't want to go first. Ryan, let's go with you. Who would I recommend it for? The audience that it was written for. Um. <laughs> oh, man, what a so the the next out. question is who is it written for? Um, it's a young adult written, it's a young adult novel, um, but it's written well so that if you are willing to come down into the troglodyte levels of young adult fantasy, you know. Troglodyte? Yes, I'm being facetious here because I think it's ridiculous if people make that sort of discussion (laughs) about books being too, too intellectual for someone or whatever. (laughs) Yes, it is a Uh... sin to read a novel. Why are you not reading the great works? Um, Thank you, Mrs. Beatty. Yeah, this is this is a really well written book. Fun story. It, any level, I would say, twelve and up could really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Um, no swear words, as long as you don't count Scott does, as a swear word. Brandon does a couple things in most of his novels, which makes it accessible to a lot of people. 
it's not that he steers away from sex and violence and swearing. He just does a he, he does a little side. He either does it off to the side, or he does a substitution. Mm -hmm. Because there's plenty of swearing in this. If you were to subscribe to their swearing, "scud" is used a ton in this in this. Which, if you translate it into our speak, I know exactly what word that is. It'd be like okay. So there's there's language like he does that, but he does that with most of his novels. You look yes, at that, he does. blood and or the I mean Wheel of Time, blood and bloody ashes. <laughs> there's or a lot of novels with with storms and storming storm. and or yeah. Firefly with anything in Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of authors Shiny. do that to keep their material a little bit softer and a little more accessible, and that's fantastic. I'm totally on board. I, I yeah. love it. It allows me to share it with my son and with my wife and with other people. Pretty easily, not having to worry about it. The other thing he does really well um, in most of a lot of his books is he writes sidekicks. Yeah. Between Spencer, Spencer and Mbot and Doomslug, like it's like, hey, it's Kaladin and Sill, or hey, it's Pattern and Shallan, you know, or I really wouldn't call them sidekicks, but uh, Vin and Ellen, like <laughs> they're both main characters, but they're banter sometimes. Or who would uh, I don't know? I'll have to think of who Vin's. Wax and oh. Wayne. What, what did you just say? Yeah, Tensoon or Sir uh, Wax his... and Wayne. Yeah, he does that. Those relationships he does really well, and this is yes. another good example of that. Yep, I would agree. I, I think if if people are fans of say a C three PO character, or like the Sword and Warbreaker, whose name I can't think of right now, they would really enjoy it. They, why can't I, mean, I rem why couldn't I remember those on the two hundredth episode? Why I couldn't I remember know. anything on the two hundredth episode? I Todd, don't know. Todd, <sighs> look at your driver's license. There's a date on there of when you were born. Shut up. The number there. <laughs> <three>. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Boo. I now understand why Craig says so regularly. I hate you all so much right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, you've missed me. Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> But my aim is improving, yeah. so we'll see what happens <laughs> next time. A light lance you into a falling chunk of stone. Yeah, this. I mean, one of the things I really enjoy about this book is that it is very Brandon, Brander Sanderson, Brandon Sanderson, Branson, B Sandy ish, um, where it, you know, it's a really, really well written story with, um, fleshed out characters who. You either love or hate or, you know, you start out hating them and then you get to know them better and you like them a little bit more. And then at the end, there's like some crazy twist that you never saw coming where Unless the book could have Sanderson ended. But then it just keeps, yeah. you know, it goes into like another really crazy direction. I actually wrote a little song that I'm now not going to sing. You're welcome. Um, but uh, I. That's called a Chekhov's gun. I know. And it was left unfired. I know. I'm so sorry. I'll, She's not I'll sorry. Consider it. We'll put that together. Maybe that'll be a Patreon exclusive. Oh, maybe. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it, it needs a go. second line. Yeah, we'll I, work on that. We'll work on that. I have everything but the second line because I, I can't come up with a good rhyme. But uh, <laughs> I'm not a songwriter, you guys. We'll work on that. Um, Ryan and I, Ryan and I will it's, help you. But it's one of those things where people are like, oh, well, you know, I'd like to read The Way of Kings, but it's just so long. Or I'd like to read Miss Bourne, but I just can't get through it. This could be a good starter Brandon Sanderson novel. It's not a part of the Cosmere. It's only 500 pages. Um, it's got a limited amount of characters where it doesn't have like a whole lot of of people you need to keep track of or different locations you need to twice. keep track of. <laughs> Everybody has two names. Name but that's and a call different sign. Thing. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think this could be a really fun gateway, Brandon Sanderson. Okay, um, I, I'd agree. I would say to somebody that um, if they are a if they are a science fiction fan more mm -hmm. so than a uh, than a fantasy fan, this is a this is a great book to get a chance to find out how Brandon writes mm -hmm. um, and be introduced to the to the way that he approaches the the process of storytelling. Um, the only thing that I would caution them about is to make sure that they understand that it's going to take at least three years for this thing to resolve itself. Because it's not all published yet. That's the only... And he has other and things true he's working on. in true Sanderson format, cliffhanger twist, I disagree with Todd. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Done. End of episode. Really? That's where we're going to go? <laughs> in our... Then I won't <laughs> sing my song. <laughs> Just kidding. Still not singing it. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who bothered to listen this far, thank you so much for taking the time. Hopefully this has been valuable for you. In our next episode, Ryan is going to learn how to braid his hair. Toe hair. <laughs> <laughs>